Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Behind the Goals podcast. Uh, today we're going to be joined by Daniel Gray, uh, the writer um, who you will know from his various books that he's written, but also his involvement with the Nutmeg podcast. Um, we're going to have a quick chat with Daniel and find out what it is that attracts him about Scottish football. Yeah, interesting interesting character who writes so beautifully and sort of poetically about Scottish football. And it's just going to be intriguing, sort of unravelling that a little bit. Where does that, where does that love really come yeah. from? Because he seems to love some of the things that people put Scottish football down yeah. for. I think is that a fair way to <laughs> I think so. I think also and 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 loves things about Scottish towns that uh, that yes. people might might not all always be attracted to. So there's a real affection about his writing about the football and the towns that he visits um, to, to go and watch these football matches. So yeah, interesting character. Um somebody who clearly has uh, uh, a lot to say about Scottish football um and its its culture and its supporters. I think it's quite I'm sure we're here, but it'll be quite refreshing to hear somebody that's so positive about Scottish football. <laughs> and I wonder if that's partly to do with the fact that he's not grown up here. So we'll find all of that stuff out. And I say not grown up here, nor have I. So it's yeah. quite, it'll be quite interesting to... Yeah. Why do you not there. like Scottish football as I, much, I, Andrew? I, I do like Scottish football. <laughs> I just haven't written about it yet. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll uh, unpick all of that. Cool. So I just wanted to start with really... Uh, your background because you've only you've how, how long ago is it since you moved to Scotland Daniel uh, 15 15 years um, now I, I came up to watch uh, Phil Stamp the great Middlesbrough ex Middlesbrough midfielder playing for Hart so I came to to see what an old boy was doing and and that very same night at about two o'clock in the morning I met my now wife so Phil, <laughs> Phil Stamp Phil Stamp Cupid yeah wow. And so, and and how long before you decided to sort of take the plunge and, and make the move? Then it wasn't long at all. I think I think I lasted about six more months in the northeast of England, and then and then I was up here, and that's that's been it since. So so yeah, fourteen or fifteen years now. And you haven't always written about Scottish football. I mean, I mean, was Dramash the first the first piece that you started to write really about the sort of the towns and the football? Yeah, that's. But before that, I'd written the first book I did was a historical dictionary of Marxism, which, funnily enough, you know, we haven't sold the film rights and things like that. <laughs> um, and then a book about Scotland's role in the Spanish Civil War, because my background is as a as a historian. Um, but yeah, my first football book, Stramash, was an attempt to get to know the country really by going to twelve different uh, matches and writing about the town and the social mm. history and meeting people and the history of the team and just trying to get used to to real Scotland outside Glasgow and Edinburgh. So going to Cowdenbeath and Cope Bridge and Dingwall um, and just uh, having these fantastic welcomes that you get as an outsider when people can't. Quite I believe you're in their town and you're interested. Yeah, and you, and you write more about the towns and the history of the towns than you do about the football itself. I mean, there's obviously a lot of history of the of the clubs that is in there, but uh, each chapter, I'm uh, I, I was struck reading it, thinking, well, I've been to these places and I know these places, but I didn't know that. Uh, and yeah, then it's, it's almost I'm, almost when it gets to talking about the football, I think, oh, I, I don't want more of the history now. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I think it's hard to get. You know, publishers aren't that interested in uh, straight up travel books anymore that sort of market seems to have disappeared especially because people can go anywhere they like in the world just about now but um 
so so it's a kind of an excuse to, to shoot on a bit of my own interest in the social history <laughs> of a place. But having said that, the two are so often intertwined, so whether it's the likes of Queen of the South being founded by local work, factory workers or, uh, you know, uh, the people that are in the cloud at Allo are all being referred to as glassblowers because they work in the local mm. commun- uh, um, glassworks factories. It's, it's really been intertwined because football is social history. Football is social. Football is working class and uh, history, especially in Scotland. So the, the things do add up in the end and there are often a lot of, of um, crossovers, not least if you think of somewhere like like Cowden Beath where players were coming out of the mine at, at one o'clock and playing at three o'clock yeah. for, the, for the team and, and being watched by miners in, in turn. So it, it's, um, it's all, it's, yes, it's about pursuing a personal interest in, in the makeup of a town, but also they, they, it is connected to football uh, often. Uh-huh. Have you found yourself going back to many of these uh, these these clubs since then to, oh, to see them again? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've a soft spot for all twelve teams that I covered actually, and uh, I've been to Cowden Beef several times. There's something special about Central Park, whether it's the revving of the uh, of the cars at, five, at the quarter to five. I'm not sure, um, but I, I found some. Uh, you know, in Capilau, I found uh, Greenock Morton. I found the most perfect football ground to me. It just feels mm-hmm. like a model from when I imagine a perfect football ground, it's like that. It feels like the perfect Sabutio ground or something. So yeah, I've been back to plenty of the places, um, usually for football. Yeah. yeah. Well, what is it particularly that sort of drives you to write so passionately and affectionately about Scottish football? Because, um, you, as you say yourself, you're a Middlesbrough fan. Is it? What you're no presumably less less of a Middlesbrough fan than you were before you moved to Scotland. No, and I'm still still going down all the time, at least twice a month. You know, I'm going to Brentford away next week. Um, I think there's something so uh, real about Scottish football. So you know, it's it's very authentic still, and it's retained an awful lot of authenticity um i wish sometimes the game here would market itself a bit more like that and instead of uh, juxtaposing itself with all the money in some of the english game not all of it um and that's appealed enormously to me from from the very start getting out to the different towns you know i've been to quite a few junior and, and lowland league games as well and there's just something about the love of the game in this country that's it can be intense of course we know with with the old firm and things but it's it's this this country remains besotted with the game for all it moans about it and I love that you can Hmm. you know you can usually get by if you know a bit about football you can usually get by in most social situations in in Scotland which is something I really like (laughs) yeah and so you you, the 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 two books you've done since Stramash um, Saturday 3pm and um, Black Boots and Football Pinks they seem to sort of hark back to that sort of authenticity that you talk about there and sort of this lust for real football as opposed to sort of new football or modern day football are you are you against modern football or is it more just that you kind of this is what you grew up with this is this is what really attracted you to football in the first place it's certainly the latter anyway there's there's you know in saturday 3 p.m i was trying to write think about things that are still good about football Mm, whereas mm. black boots is what i should have done the other way around essentially (laughs) um 
But uh, no, I'm not the the against modern football thing. I, I understand so much of it, and there's so much that upsets me about modern football. But you, you wouldn't go anymore if it was that bad. And you know, every Saturday there are Saturdays that occur when I'm not going to a game, and I'm just horrible to be around in in, in the house. And you know, my wife's telling me I'm meant to be a good dad and a good husband and stay around one Saturday every now and again. And by about one o'clock, I just think it's the only place I want to be, no matter the quality <laughs> of the game. It's just the the you know. A few weeks ago, it got to one o'clock and I wasn't going to go to a game. And then I just thought, I am. And I just got on a train to Dunfermline. And as soon as I got there, I followed people in black and white shirts across the park to the ground, saw the floodlights. And I just thought, this is where I'm supposed to be. Dreadful game. Found myself looking (laughs) at the graveyard, the cemetery behind the stand most of the game, having an existential crisis. (laughs) At the same time, I just just, um, don't feel the same when I'm not at football on a Saturday. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting thing. One of the one of the um, chapters I really loved in the, the the first one we mentioned there, Saturday three pm, was the the local lads coming through. Um, yeah, and uh, something I identified with a lot, which is um, I can now on pointless when they have some of those rounds on pointless and they have the flags. I'm always really good at naming the flags because I probably played a lot of FIFA when I was younger <laughs> and I could always identify the country. And that's something that you mentioned about being able to name um, sort of some of the countries around Eastern Europe from players that, you know, have joined yeah, Middlesbrough. Ca- and, and knowing about, you know, Bulawayo in Zimbabwe because of Peter and Love and things like that. Think, God, you know your geography, but you don't know your geography. You just know about, well, what was the European Cup and, and then the signings that your team made. And like you say, flags, that's a perfect example because you could see it next to the picture of the player on a football game or on the back of the match day program. Oh, that's so it right. Gives you yeah. This veneer yeah. of being intelligent, and what's not to like about that? <laughs> yes, very much so. And I, I sort of something, and I, what I think um, I really, really love about both your books are the things that you actually acknowledge that you you think about, but you don't actually sort of acknowledge in the same way. So I wouldn't have thought to write any of that stuff down, but it's just stuff that goes part and parcel with the game. So many of those sort of traditions that you just come to accept and then you sort of just take them for granted to some extent. Yeah, it's been a really nice reaction. If you take something in Saturday 3pm that I thought was really geeky, which was called seeing a ground from the train, the amount of people that have gotten in touch on Twitter and via email to say, I do that. I thought it was weird and I do that. And and it counts for so many of them. And, you know, in the new one, there's a chapter about uh, goalkeepers in trousers. Why don't keepers ever wear trousers anymore or hats? And since then, people have gone, they don't, do they? And, and just started talking about all these things that on the surface don't really matter, but they just... They bind you together, I suppose, despite your team. And I like that about football. I like that despite our rivalries, we can share wider things. Yes, yes, very much so. And what um, the, 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 the point about the, 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 the stadiums from the train is even relevant because um, Alan and I recently went up to Dundee United and uh, San Starco, as Alan likes to call it, was uh, sort <laughs> of um, raiding from our our point of view on the train so yeah I think that's a lovely one what what was the one that you've sort of how what's your process for writing the books is it you you sort of just things that you pick up and you think yeah I hadn't really thought about that or what is it that inspires you to well, sort of well, write the, some of the, the chapters the first one Saturday 3pm was a reaction to being really disillusioned with the game at one moment in time and just starting to make a list of things did I still love the game what was I still in love with and actually I got to 70 or 75 quite quickly uh-huh. and with this one again I just sat down 
pretty much closed my eyes and pictured the 1990s because that was my, you know, I care about football now, but boy, do you care in your teens. So I thought about what had changed between then and now. Next month in December, it'll be 30 years since my first game, which was Middlesbrough 3, Aston Villa 3 at Ayrson Park. <laughs> so that's been... Um, that period has seen more change than probably any other period in football's history. It has changed immensely. And I don't say all of it was better. After all, that first season was also the season of Hillsborough. In fact, Middlesbrough played at Hillsborough a couple of weeks after the, the disaster. And they covered the terrace, the Leppings Lane end, with tarpaulin and put the Borough fans in a different stand. I mean, that is horrendous in itself. And so, you know, I couldn't just say it was all going to be rosy-tinted and everything was better. I'm sure happier taking my girl to the football now than than the, if I'd have been taking her to the football my dad took me to. But, yes, they were these things were fairly easy to think of. You just, you know, if you need a prompt, I, I, I'm a tremendous hoarder, so I would go through my old programmes and fanzines or I would put an old video on. In fact, there's a chapter in the book called Season Highlights v- VHS Videos. <laughs> um, things, there, there were ones that I thought I'd imagined, though, and I had to go back and confirm. Things like turf patterns. In my head, I had it that <laughs> most clubs had a different pattern in the turf, a tartan, a deck chair uh, stripes, um, all sorts of different ways of doing things. And sure enough, when I looked in the area films guides books that i have they did there was a tremendous amount of unique groundsmanship going on and there's you know beyond those individual things there's a wider point about how much the games lost a lot of individuality so there's a chapter about old-fashioned goal nets as well because you'd have the ones with hooks and stanchions and and even at Ayrson park we had both goals were different to each other, um, which is incredible now in the standardised world of these same goals with three posts behind them. So there's something wider there about the sort of chain store football, I suppose, that, that we, we have now. Yeah, very much so. I'm interested. How did you how did your own fandom come about with with Middlesbrough? What is it that sort of was it something you did with your with your dad or was it? Yes, was like, like so many of us, it was all about my dad. Um, my dad actually committed the great sin of of being a Leeds United fan. He he grew up watching Don Revy's Leeds, but he we'd moved to Teesside, so he gave me he took me to two games. One the three all I've mentioned and then he took me to Leeds a few months later and that was nil-nil and I think as a kid you're never going to pick a nil-nil yeah. and so <laughs> and uh, simple as that it happens you know that I was born on Teesside so that's the the right team as it turns out for me um, and I wouldn't change anything in the world about that I think we will well, number one we'd, we had an amazing time from about 94 to about 2004-5 between you know, we were nearly liquidated when I started going in 86. And, you know, I saw us in the UEFA Cup final. We lost 4-0, but nothing could be more Middlesbrough. <laughs> but I saw us lift our first trophy. I saw us at Wembley five times. And, and so, it was. you know, I'm so glad we chose Middlesbrough, or I chose Middlesbrough in the end. Mm. And have you have you settled on a Scottish team, or do, is it just whoever's well, playing well, at home? Well, I do travel around a lot, but it's certainly Hibs, because I live okay. uh, in Leith, and I can we can hear the ground from... Um, our house if we're not at the match so uh, you know I always had a soft spot I came up to watch Hibs as as, uh, my 15th birthday present from my dad Uh, interestingly I was looking back at the ticket recently so I I saw them before I even knew I would end up here obviously and um, yeah that's that's who my daughter and I go and see we've been to about 20 games together now right you mentioned the um, sort of the, the the magic of Scottish football and the way it markets itself, and it's I know it's something that you spoke about with um, 
uh, a number of people involved in the sector on the on the nutmeg po- po- podcast yeah which, which people should definitely go and, and check out so a plug for that um but what is it that you think you know it, where it could improve how, how do you think it should sort of capitalize on this sort of rawness of you know authenticity i guess I think how how real and um, life affirming actually going to the game can be. So that you know, there's a lot of controversy today, isn't there, about the TV deal mm. and how expensive it'll be for people. So you know, don't don't market it for television's purpose. Market the idea of going to a game mm. because when you go, you'll meet brilliant, funny people in the bars at junior football or whatever and you'll also meet these absolute club stalwarts who will just remind you what an important thing football is whether it's the the club historian or a really nice woman on the turnstile you know it's hard to go to a game in scotland without having some of these really lovely human experiences so i think just market the, the how real it is and and almost, you know if you use the phrase old-fashioned it makes it sound like a dig or something but in this case there's nothing wrong with that kind of old-fashioned sense that you get in a lot of these places in scotland yeah mm, very much so I, one of the one of the sort of things for me before i moved here and, it, and you may have written about this is, is sort of the the names of the clubs is really yeah sort of magical and you used to hear it being read out on the score score report, and you used to wonder where Queen of the South was, yeah. or, yeah. or Stenhouse Muir, you know, and it's just really lovely sounding names that we don't they don't sound quite as nice in England, do they? No, they really don't. The, 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 it's, it's, Scottish people still laugh at me when I say how exciting and exotic these things were to us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and asking your dad where Saint Mirren was and things like that. Um, Jonathan Meads called them Pools Coupon Towns because that's where that's the only time <laughs> yeah. we heard of them. <laughs> you know, there's a serious point in that. That's yeah, because the industry had already had gone, so you didn't hear about Aloe yeah. Glass or Cowdenbeath Coal anymore. And I'm, I'm still like that, not only about the names, about the nicknames too, but about the the colours of some of the shirts in Scotland. There isn't an equivalent to. to Motherwell, I can think of uh, that that the shirt combination they have, and there isn't really an equivalent to Hibs. That so often I go to Easter Road and I think these are great shirt colours and quite traditional shirts, and uh, that aesthetics, the aesthetics of the game here still feel quite foreign to me, and that's nice. It's nice to live among a game that feels so different, and you know I go back for my fix and. Um, I'll be honest, when I'm at any game, I'm still checking to know, I want to know what the Borough score is, that's where my heart is. But, you know, it's a a damn fine sort of second thing to have is Scottish Mm. football. That thing you say about shirt colours there is something, it's just a theory I've always had and never really, I've I've never explored whether it's true or not. But I I think that may be, um, because there's so many football teams in such a small country, they had to stand Mm. out, they had to be distinctive, they had to look different from each other, and I wonder how much of that is is, is actually the case. Oh, that's brilliant. Never thought of that, but I like that a lot. That sounds sounds right to me, yeah. Yeah, it feels feels right, but I I don't know if it's just a guess. We'll we'll say it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's claim that. You can put it in your next book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Speaking of which, you you also do uh, sort of a number of things outside of, of, of your writing and um, you, you did a tour with um, Neil by Mouth uh, where you were sort of doing readings of your work to sort of promote equality within within the game. What are, some yeah. of the, what are some of the other things that you do outside of football? Well, it's, it's really, you know, as a freelancer trying to make you a so copywriting. Sometimes I get jobs in doing football copywriting, which is a nice thing. A couple of years ago, I did the Hibs season ticket video. Um, so, so if you can marry the two of earning a bit of money through writing about football, it's lovely. But other than that, 
uh, a, a lot of workshops and things in schools and uh, prisons um, um, different talking to many different people about writing and about their own stories and then uh, I'm involved in television as well so at the moment uh, I've a, ser- a two-part documentary series about Scotland's role in the slave trade that I was researcher and writer on is on. In fact, the second one is on as we speak tonight. Right. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that uh, we we give that it's a plug. A, you know, it's a it's a tough watch, yeah. as as you can imagine. But uh, so it's you know it's it's really flipping your brain between many different things. But but football underpins a lot of it, and certainly from my football books, I think that tends to hopefully showcase that you can write a bit and lead, lead to other bits of work yes very much so and and so um black boots and football pinks is out out now what what, are, what and i suppose that will make the ideal christmas present for for anyone yeah, for um, anyone listening um but beyond that what are, do you have anything planned within football you get is there a third is there going to be a third in the kind of those those set of those three well, um, I, I could, you know, I could easily do a, third, a continuing Saturday. I could do a Tuesday 7.45 p.m. I've <laughs> got a list of about 50 more things that delight me about football. Sadly, it's more down to what the publisher <laughs> will pay you for. So um, um, I, I, hope that, I hope there will because it's a, a lovely form of being able to write and, and, and there's something great about doing very short books when you've got a, a busy life that revolves around your child care. <laughs> Yeah, very much. Well, I can certainly vouch that it's a, this is a lovely thing to be able to just sort of pick up and and you know pick pick different chapters and sort of drift through at your sort of leisurely pace. It's a, it's a great yeah. read in that sense. Oh, um, thank you. One one thing we always ask all of the guests on the podcast is if there was one thing that they could change about football, what would it be? I would change the uh, the uh, the from most of the English football league and at the top in Scotland. I would not allow the PA people to ruin the atmosphere before a match. I would ban after goal music. Um, They're they're trying to get, you know, the spontaneous atmosphere we had when the players used to run on the pitch being sung on or or with music as well. And then now these choreographed slow handshake manoeuvres bombast from the PA, too much uh, artificial noise. Let us have our organic atmosphere back. Mm. Mm. That was a, that was it. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I remember a story that Tottenham were was it Tottenham that were putting a drum noise through the PA system to make it sound like there was a drum oh, being played. Just so I can I can totally identify with that. Just sure. no. Although one charming thing from the past at Ayrson Park was that we had the Borough Bugler, who was a member of the Green Howards, the local uh, infantry, uh, and he even when I started going used to be in the corner, and when we got a corner, he would go. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> that, that I would accept as something quite. We, charming we had that, that for a couple of seasons at Starks Park, and. I've never heard such vitriolic abuse hurled in the direction of an, an individual as I did when that bugler was there. Stick <laughs> that bugle in all sorts of places. <laughs> He's never picked it up again. <laughs> well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. A thank real you. pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, great to talk to you, Daniel. Likewise, thank you. So there we go. That was Daniel Gray. What a lovely, what a lovely individual. Yeah, he's a good guy um, and a great writer. If you've not read his books already, um, do go and check those out. Uh, they're, they're great. They're, as we said in the intro, they're written um, with a real sort of passion for Scottish football, despite him not having grown up with Scottish football, other than you know from the the pools the pools uh, forecast uh, yeah. um, and the and the, the broadcast and, and seeing it from afar. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so he's done. He's also done one called Hatters, Railway Men, and Knitters, which is sort of the English equivalent to Stramash. Okay, um, I've so, not, read, not heard of that one. Yeah, so that's sort of uh, Hatters being Luton, yes. uh, Railway Men, Crew Alexandra, and what was the third one? Knitters. Yeah, don't know who the Knitters are. 
Um, get in touch if you do. Yeah. <laughs> or we could Google it. Yeah. <laughs> or Google it and then get in touch and oh, tell yeah, us so yeah, we yeah. don't have to. Um, so, yeah, so his, his new book, Football Pinks, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, Black Boots and Football Pinks is out just yeah. now. As I said, bought it for my dad for his birthday. I think he's thoroughly enjoyed it, so that's a, a glowing recommendation. Very good. Would certainly make an ideal Christmas present. Yeah, much better than getting uh, pink boots for somebody's Christmas because <laughs> they're wrong in modern football. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Black boots, it's always black boots. We, yeah. This is something we have to agree to disagree on. Oh, dearie me. Uh, I'm not so bothered about the, yeah. the colour of their boots. But uh, nevertheless, uh, point taken. And um, hopefully you'll be able to join us for, for next week's podcast. Um, we don't know who that will be with No, yet. no, we've got a long list of people who've not confirmed yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of them will confirm. Yes, very much so. Yes. So until then, we'll see you then. Yep. Bye-bye. Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott.